I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and the author of your Thoughts on Money blog. I am back here with my dear friend who have waited weeks to return to the podcast. A round of applause for Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello, everyone. Yeah, I figure I got to space it out. It'll leave you wanting more. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, I was uh, joking before we got on the podcast that it is much more difficult to do it by myself um, because I have to figure out a way to talk for 20 minutes. And uh, Sean's going to make a joke right now that I love to talk. I was going to say, you have no problem doing that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are here today. We're going to talk about an article I wrote called A Sure Thing. And uh, Sean, you read this. What did you think? Give me some feedback. I, I loved it. And maybe it's because, you know, we have lunch together all the time. We talk about basketball all the time. And so it's kind of common for us to say, you know, what are the odds of this happening? Or do, what do you think this has a chance of happening? And then we kind of use a measuring stick. Well, I don't know, would I lose anything if I'm wrong? And I feel like that's the best way to know is if you have skin in the game. Yeah, I like how you always say is that people vote with their dollars. It's true. They do. Yeah, and uh, I uh, slipped in a Bible verse here at the intro, and it's a it's a it's one that me and my friends kind of joke around about sometimes. But the verse says, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall." And we shorten it. We we always make a joke that pride comes before the fall. Maybe you have a friend that's gonna. Uh, do some sort of acrobatic trick on a bike or um, they're doing something at a party and you see this arrogance and we always like whisper to each other, pride comes before the fall. That's right. That's kind of a funny inside joke. And it's true. There's something to be said when someone goes, hey, watch this. You just know that odds are not in their favor. <laughs> Isn't that the making behind every America's Funniest Video? Yep. Like, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we titled the article, A Sure Thing, because there is this idea that I don't know, you've how many uh, charlatans or grifters have come to you and said, hey, Sean, you have to hear about this investment. It's a sure thing. Exactly. And Can't you, lose. Yeah, exactly. You hear those three words and you run for the hills. It's kind of funny. I, I don't know why this happens because I, I don't bet on horses. But whenever I hear a sure thing, can't lose, it reminds me of horse races. And then I just picture everyone screaming and tearing up their tickets. So I guess yeah. it wasn't a sure thing. <laughs> I feel like that's a classic movie scene. Um, we entered the article about a subject that you and I just love, and that's uh, basketball. And we're a rare breed because we love NBA basketball. Um, I know when I talk to some people about basketball, they'll be like, no, the, the true fans love college, college basketball. Yep. Like NBA is, uh, it's it's not the real game or whatever. But guess what? You and I, we love NBA basketball. And the funny part about that is most people love college because if you go to March Madness, it is madness. You never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to win. And that might kind of segue into what we're talking about now. Yeah. And that's exactly a, a perfect segue. Uh, this last week, the matchup in uh, what they call the bubble was between the Clippers and the Nuggets. I, I loved it, it was being great. a Laker fan. So <laughs> yeah, I really course, loved it. Of course you loved it. <laughs> um, you, you pick one LA team to root for. So Clippers are facing the Nuggets. If you don't watch basketball, it's totally okay. Let me just give you a little background. Um, the, the Clippers, unfortunately, have kind of been always the stepchild in uh, Los Angeles and in the shadow of the Los Angeles Lakers. They were acquired, I don't know, some years ago by the famous Microsoft billionaire, Steve Ballmer, which I think, is he the richest man in the world that's not the founder of a company? I don't know. I think he is because his wealth was from Microsoft stock, but he wasn't a founder of Microsoft. He was just the CEO. Okay, right. 
So we will uh, fact check that later. Anyway, um, so he uh, purchased the Clippers. Uh, They have a great coach, and uh, they're going to spend years rebuilding and figuring out a way to win a championship. This is a Clippers team that has never been to the Western Conference Championship. Not only have they not been to the finals, they've never been to the the Western Conference finals. Um, And that's not going to be true this year as well. It's pretty amazing because, you know, living in Southern California, maybe it's talked about a little bit more and being a Laker fan, maybe things I follow, people are also Laker fans, but there are billboards all over LA and this was the year. Clippers were putting up billboards saying this is our town, this is our time and unfortunately they didn't do it again. Yeah, so they spent some big money Uh, off season, they picked up uh, what are household names if you're an NBA fan, which is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, considered to be both top 10 players. And I don't follow Vegas odds, but I think Vegas probably had them as the favorite. For most of the season, they were favored above the Lakers. They they were favored to win it all. And here comes the Cinderella story. So there is a little team from Denver, the, the Mile High State, called the Denver Nuggets. Um, it's a team where, if I named the players... You probably haven't heard a lot of them. Nope. Um, a lot of contributions from role players, and and there is uh, one of their star players is, um, I don't know where he's from. I don't know either. Isn't he like, he's 23 years old, right? Really young? He's young. He's uh, European. Are, we, are you talking about Jamal Murray? Yeah, I was talking okay. about Jamal Murray. No, uh, Jokic. Jokic, yeah. I don't know where he's from, but uh, he, he's uh, not native to the United States. But nonetheless, they're, they're not your LeBron James or your Kobe Bryant's or the names that would be top of mind even if you weren't a basketball fan. So you have this little Denver Nuggets team. They face the Utah Jazz in the first round of playoffs. They find themselves, they play these seven-game series, so they find themselves down 3-1, which is like the death sentence. Yeah. Like, you might as well pack your bag. They make a joke on NBA TV all the time that that's the uh, the Cancun game. You know what right, I mean? Because right. like after this, you're heading right yeah, to pack Cancun. pack your bag before the game and then straight to the airport. <laughs> yeah. So they're down 3-1, and what they have to do if you're down 3-1, you basically have to win the next three games. Mm-hmm. Which, why is that not likely? Well, because you just lost uh, three (laughs) out of the four games. So nothing in your past is showing that that is uh, likely to happen. But they did it. They overcame the odds. I think it's only happened five or six times in history. And they knock out the Utah Jazz. So they get their next opponent, the Clippers. The way basketball works in all sports, the commentators start to pontificate on who's going to win this series. So tell us about what happened. Uh, Well, it's pretty interesting because as much as we follow basketball, I don't think either of us saw this before but we would have guessed it that we all thought the clippers were going to win and on this chart that you'll see when you're reading tom 19 analysts said that the clippers are going to win and not only just win they're going to win in decisive fashion four games five games that that means the denver might not win any games yeah this denver team came in without a chance and uh, our good friend and recorder of the podcast brian tong just gave us that fact check jamal murray who i wasn't talking about but he's actually from canada Oh, um, so there's multiple foreign players on this Nuggets team, um, and then we'll uh, take a look on where Jokic is from. But yeah, so no analysts, um, and I mean no analysts, no one. Nineteen out of these highly qualified, respected ESPN analysts, and I put the image on uh, the blog. They went 0 for 19. They all thought the Clippers were going to win, and as we know now, the Clippers did not win, and nothing is a sure thing. So let me ask you this, Trevor. These guys are pros. They get paid to write and make decisions and to make educated guesses. How did they all get it wrong? Yeah, that's a good question. So there, there's kind of a, a, a joke. Uh, 
would we call that a joke? I don't know. Um, but when when people start to talk about this and they understand how difficult it is to predict something that is essentially unpredictable, right? Because there's movies made about when the underdog comes mm-hmm. and knocks people out. Um, so you know that it, it is not with absolute certainty that something is going to happen. And this relates to what we said is that if it starts to feel like a sure thing, hey, pride comes before the fall. That's right. right? Um, but to answer your question, how did they get it all wrong? I love uh, kind of the old man response is that's why they play the games. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you're talking to a, a gentleman that's been watching sports for 50 or 60 years and you're saying, here's 10 reasons that, that this team's going to win and this, that, and the other. Well, he's watched all these underdog stories. So yeah. his response to you is, hey, son, that's why they play the games, which is absolutely true. Because if we knew what was going to happen- We wouldn't watch. We wouldn't watch. Yeah. Right? And that's why- when like TiVo came out and there was uh, recording games, you'd people see people going around like, don't tell me yeah. the Lakers score. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Because once you know the score, it takes all the fun out of it. That's true. Now, how does this relate to finance? Well, in finance, you hear that level of confidence or that pride all the time. You hear people talking about this is a sure thing. And one example I gave is I went back to uh, a long, long time ago in 2017, which feels like forever ago, (laughs) and I talked about Bitcoin. Like, I remember that vividly because I had a friend from church that was in a Bible study with me, and he would talk about Bitcoin all the time. And I had a text message thread with him, which is kind of funny. Um, When he first recommended that I should buy Bitcoin, I think it was for like $5,000 a coin. So we know now in hindsight, it went from 5000 to 20000 So I'd send him a text uh, every week making a joke like, Bitcoin's now 7000 Jeff's recommendation was at 5000 Trevor would have made this much money. <laughs> I wasn't going to buy it, but I, I liked making fun of myself. Yeah. Y- you know what I mean? Because I, I he was right. But the point I make in this article is that that is how bubbles work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't heard the term in finance, a bubble... You don't even need to think about finance. Just think about when you blow a bubble. It's kind of that uh, iconic kid that is chewing the gum and blowing it up and this anticipation of when it's going to burst. Is it going to get as big as his head or is it going to pop with a tiny little bubble? You don't know. So what ends up happening with something like Bitcoin is the price continues to expand and that's what creates even more allure. Mm -hmm. But the more it expands, what happens is the harder it eventually bursts. Yeah, that's true. And the image I used in here, as I said, um, here's a fun little thing. Just go on Google Trends. You can search Google Trends and you can plug in words and see uh, what their search popularity was. You saw that little chart I put in there? Yeah, and I thought you did a good job of illustrating it. The Google Trends is kind of the new way of looking things up and seeing what's trending on Twitter, what's popular. Back in the day, it's when your barber or your cab driver or the guy you're sitting next to in the train starts telling you stocks you need to buy, that might be an indication of a bumble. Yeah, and the correlation is amazing. In Google Trends, like, I, I had a hypothesis when I went in there, but it was exact month. Uh, Bitcoin popularity search peaked in December 2017. When did the price peak? December of 2017. That's true. So it starts to give you this idea um, when something is getting popular around you, when you feel this feeling of FOMO, fear of missing out, that you have to own something, mm-hmm. and when friends are telling you it's a sure thing, um, you have to put your alarms up. 
You have to wave the flag, tell yourself to slow down, because these are all the signs of classic trouble that you're going down. Yeah, it's true. And you kind of talk about it later in the article uh, for people that haven't read it yet. But they, it's kind of dangerous because these investment vehicles, you would think, well, they wouldn't make it if it was dangerous, right? And uh, I, I'll pass it back to you. Maybe you talk a little bit about what, what leverage even means. Yeah. So the next place I went in this article is like, hey, Trevor, like, that's cool. You wanted to talk about the Clippers and Nuggets. That's a fun conversation. And you're talking about Bitcoin 2017. How is that relevant to today? Well, the real impetus for this article is I saw this Bloomberg headline, and here was the headline, and I'll explain what leverage means. The headline was, Triple Leveraged NASDAQ ETF Lures Record Cash Amid Retail Fervor. Oh my word. (laughs) That is a scary headline. Triple Leveraged NASDAQ ETF. What in the world does that mean? All it means is that they've created this financial instrument that is made up of derivatives, that allows someone to get more investment exposure than their actual dollars. That can sound a little confusing, so I'm going to say it again. If I have $1 that I want to invest, this tool can amplify that dollar so I can get $3 of exposure. We're not going to get into all the details on how they use future contracts and things like that and the problems that it can cause, but basically this is... a uh, a high-flying investment on steroids. Mm -hmm. And why it's so unique to identify the NASDAQ is because this year, the NASDAQ being made up of a lot of tech companies is having a stellar year. The price appreciation has felt like a bubble. I'm not going to say it is a bubble, but it's felt bubble-like. So then when you have somebody saying, and I guess this is how drugs work, right, is that it's no longer enough to just get NASDAQ exposure you need triple leveraged NASDAQ yeah. exposure to fulfill that um, appetite that you have. Yep. And unfortunately, it, it does go both ways. So, Yeah. And one thing I, I put in here, go to the fine print. Like I went to one of the proprietors of, of these products and I read through what it says on their website. And it says investors who choose to hold leverage ETFs for periods longer than a single day, longer than a single day. <laughs> should recognize that their holding period is not in line with the fund's investment objective. And such investors should regularly monitor and adjust the position to maintain a level of exposure consistent with their investment objective. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this product is made for one-day use. And and I, I, I want to be definitive here. This product isn't created um, in, in a malicious fashion because I want you to understand is how does an institution use this? They do use it on a daily basis. Institutions have to hedge different things on a daily basis for their own purposes and reasoning. And these type of strategies with this leveraged exposure can be helpful for those institutions. But now retail investors are using it for a whole different purpose. Mm -hmm. So much so that the website has to tell you this is for day use (laughs) and be careful. And I, 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 in the article said, how is this different from nicotine? Like we know all the research that says uh, cigarettes cause fill in the blank, yet a lot of us still choose to smoke cigarettes. This is telling you these things are lethal. This is basically the Surgeon General telling you these things kill, don't use these things. It's true. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm almost glad that more do-it-yourselfers don't know what this is because I feel like it could be a dangerous thing. Um, a lot of times people look at investments and they go, well, I'm comfortable with market volatility. I, I won't sell it if it goes down. And so I'm okay if it does go down. But what they don't understand is these products are developed and closed based off results. And so there could be a chance that you do lose principal. It's not like you're holding shares of Apple and you're hoping that everything will be okay in the future. Yeah, and and that's where I didn't want to get into the weeds. But if you do, go look at the derivatives. Go look what happens when multiple forward contracts go against you and understand what backwardation is and these different financial terms that the institution definitely understands and understands where one little movement, which might not seem lethal, can blow one of these products up. And there's an example. I think it was a volatility product um, based on the VIX that absolutely blew up. In March. Was it this year? Yeah, it was this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. My, I have no relevance of time right now. Uh, <laughs> it's what all I, blur. March was like 10 years ago yeah, for me, so true. I have no idea. So you're absolutely right. These things can blow up and they can cause more damage than the person um, even understood that they were getting into. True. And I, I transitioned the conversation there a little bit to basically say it's absolutely sexy to talk about your investment portfolio, what you're buying, what you're selling, uh, what your perspective is, what your forecasts are, all those things. But that is secondary. What did I talk about in the article that's primary? I, I really liked how you said it should start with financial planning, and then you create an investment allocation to achieve those goals. And I, I think we, we use this term a lot with clients is if it's a marathon, and you've already done a great job saving and you have enough saved, you've already won the race. There's no need to chase yield, chase sexy investment products. You've already done it. So don't do not do it backwards and try to create a sexy investment project or allocation and then hope it matches your financial plan. Yeah, and that sounds like such a simple truth when we're talking about it, like step one, financial plan. Step two, divine, design an investment portfolio that matches that financial plan. But most people don't do it that way. Nope. Most people do step one, design a awesome investment portfolio. Step two, hopefully it works out. Right. And I I threw in a chart of the NASDAQ because we were already talking about it. But I I want you to understand, this is not a bash on Bitcoin or the NASDAQ. It's just showing what happens when valuations start to get big. It, it, It has that enticing allure to get investors to buy more and things start to bubble up. Well, I showed we've we've lived this out right in the in the late 90s early 2000s we saw the nasdaq from its peak go down 80% and we saw it take not 5 years not 10 years nearly 15 years for it to reclaim the value it had in 2000 most financial plans cannot endure a 15 year losing investment that's why step 1 has to be design the financial plan to know what your actual needs are. Yeah. And I I like the towards the end of the article. So, you know, as you finish reading the article, you'll see how we talk about emotions and gambling. And uh, maybe you you can touch on why you brought up a a poker player. Yeah, I brought up a poker player because when we have these conversations, I, I think it always gets back to we're we're hearing these words through our own filter. And because a lot of this is financial jargon and things like that, we're trying to relate it to something we understand. So what is Trevor and Sean really talking about? Oh, they're talking about somebody gambling. There's somebody taking their investment portfolio and um, gambling. And when we think gambling, we think about it in polarizing fashion. Big win, 
or, or win big or, or or lose big, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not really an in between. Um, throw all your money on black and uh, you know roll the dice and, and hopefully it uh, works out in your favor. But gambling is an interesting term because if that is true, how are there professional gamblers? That's true. Uh, my uh, cousin actually lives in Las Vegas and he plays poker for a living. And uh, he worked in a casino for years and he's very comfortable with it. And he looks at it, it. You actually described it really well where he has a set methodology of an amount he'll bet per day and an amount he'll win and then leave. Takes all the emotion out of it. It's a set process. And I think it is a slippery slope compared to someone's just going for entertainment and they're taking fun money. It is, I'm okay if I lose this in an hour or three hours. If I win money, I have a great story. But at the end of the day, they're very different processes. And uh, to kind of segue it into financial planning and creating investment allocation for long run compared to gambling uh, or day trading, I, I think that those should be separated as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's hard. It almost seems like an oxymoron for us to think professional gambler. Because when we think gambling, you know, you go with your boys to Vegas and you, like you said, you either you walk home with some money, but most of the time you leave it on the table um, and, and you, you, you equate it to this idea that it's luck. But if there's a professional gambler, there must be skill involved. So what is the skill? The skill is removing the emotions. Mm-hmm. The, the skill, fun part. <laughs> exactly. The skill is all in this idea of probabilities. When your cousin goes and sits down at a table, whether he's playing blackjack or he's playing Texas Hold'em, he knows constantly the mental math that he needs to do to figure out what's the probability that I'll win this hand. Why probability is so important is because probability, most of the time, is not a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a 70% chance or an 80% chance. The Clippers did not have a hundred percent chance of beating the Nuggets. If they did, they then they would have beat the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So um, you pull the emotion out of it. You're a gambler. You're understanding probabilities, and then what do you do next? You size your bets, right? You're mm-hmm. figuring out. Like, there's a whole theory on this, like the Kelly criterion. Like, how do you size your bets wisely in alignment with the probability? That starts sounding a lot more like financial planning. It's this idea of risk management. And the relationship that risk and reward have and being opportunistic when it makes sense to be opportunistic and mitigating risk when it makes sense to mitigate risk. So it it kind of changes your perspective on, okay, I guess there can be professional gamblers. And the argument that I would make is why you can say gambling isn't all luck is that if you go look at the World Series of Poker Tours, if it was all luck, how do the same people end up at the final table? Very true. Their skill. Right, there's skill involved, and and that's where we kind of come to the conclusion where I basically say there's a big difference between an amateur gambler and a professional gambler. There's a big difference between an amateur investor and a professional investor. True. And when we talk about professional investor in our field, we'll talk about financial planners, and we know what financial planners do. I'll bet you they create that financial plan first, because at the end of the day, they don't want to go to somebody and say, "Hey, I know you've been retired for ten years, Sean, but you got to go back to work." It's true. I, I use the example. Uh, people often say, you know, why do you run it to till I live to 100? I'm not going to live that long. I just say, well, what if you run out of money when you're 93? And I go, oh, yeah, that's really bad. I don't want that to happen. Yeah, you run the. So I had a similar conversation. I ran the financial plan to 100. I ran the rates of return lower than I think that they would. And, and the question, of, well, why are we doing that? Because we want to, uh, what's that saying? You, uh, 
under promise and over deliver. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So you, you basically want to create a conservative assumption so that it leaves a lot of margin for error. Um, because financial planning is not a game of darts. You're not going to hit the bullseye. Like you are doing forecasts and projections. You need to get in the range. You need to stay within reason for worst case scenarios and you have to pivot and adjust along the way. Yep. And so the other thing that we look at is, okay, why are we talking about all this? And in the last little section, I, I labeled a sign of the times. I am passionate about this. I'm bringing this up because there is a fragrance in the air of overconfidence. There is a fragrance in the air of people taking on way too much risk. And you and I have chatted about this a lot at lunch, but where is this coming from? It's a combination of, we've talked about it before with less entertainment out there. I think people have looked at the market and picked up day trading and uh, our generation's definitely gotten a lot more involved in the past six months. Um, and then on the other side, probably uh, when you look at a low rate environment, it's already forced people to not, you can't just stick money in a CD in the checking account and get enough income to live off of. So they may have to take a little bit more exposure to equities to begin with. Well, if you're doing it yourself, you might not know what that means. Yeah, that's a great example. I'm, you know, I'm Bob Smith and I feel like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball, but I have access to Google. So what's a good way to invest? And I start reading articles from people I have no relationship with. I don't know if I should have confidence in them. And will they turn out like the 19 analysts that picked the Clippers to win the uh, the playoff game? Not to mention confirmation bias. So if you have a hunch and you Google that hunch, I promise you, you will find at least one person out there that agrees with you. And he's just going to reinforce that thought. Yeah. And that's so true is that we use that word bias, um, which for me, it, it's a huge overlap with the overconfidence, right? And, and going back to ho- this whole idea of the pride comes before the fall is that when you start to believe something and it starts to feel like a sure thing, and you're collecting all your data sources, and there's no way that this can fail, I... Run for the hills. <laughs> yeah, like, hold on tight, because I don't think that's a really good idea. Um, and like we've talked about before, you got a lot of people working from home. Mm-hmm. You got less sports to gamble on. Um, and you have people that are probably sitting on Google all day. I think we Lots could, of time to research. Yeah. You, you know what I should have done? We should go to Google Trends and type in triple leverage. We'll bring that next week and we'll yeah. see if there's a spike. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, for me, I think the takeaway is this, is that um, we did mention it, but please like build your financial plan first. And your financial plan is going to define what your investment portfolio needs to do for you. I had a conversation with a client today and they asked a good question. They're all, why am I owning, you know, some allocation to this section of my portfolio where it's some cash and some bonds if I already know that the return's defined and the return's one to one and a half percent? And I said, you owned that because you are not going to be comfortable with a portfolio that gets cut in half. And his response was, you know, maybe I would be. Um, maybe it would be comfortable with that if I knew that, you know, I was going to still get my dividends and if I just waited it out. Well, then I transitioned to it into dollar amounts. So whatever, $5 million portfolio, $2 million portfolio, $3 million portfolio. Okay, you got $4 million portfolio and you open a statement and it says $2 million. You're just going to close that, set it aside in your file and go on your day as usual? Absolutely not. They're going to call you and want an emergency conference call action plan of what changes we're going to make. 
Yeah, they're absolutely not going to do that. So at the end of the day, when you design the financial plan, you have to stay within somebody's tolerance levels. So you're solving for multiple variables, right? You're solving for their expense needs and making sure there's enough income produced, making sure it's within what they are comfortable with, understanding their taxes, how they're going to leave this money to their family. Is there any insurance coverage that's not made up for? So all these reasons are why a financial planner becomes so important. And here, I'll leave you with this last thing. You and I, we do a lot of reviews with clients, and I know what clients want to talk about. They want to talk about performance. How to do this year, last year, what do we expect for the rest of the year? That's fine. Let's talk about that. That's an important part of a review. But you should have that same vigor and dedication to reviewing the financial plan. Where are we on the plan that we made? Do we have to make pivots and adjustments? Are we ahead of schedule? Are we behind? Should I save a little bit more this year? Is there a tax planning strategy I need to look at? Because the first part of the conversation should be the financial plan. Because the plan, you can make adjustments on. You can make uh, changes that will have an impact. Performance that's happened in the past, it's Can't happened change. in the past. It's already happened. So I, I do think it's important to review those things. I just think uh, it's our natural tendency to want to give those more attention than anything else. Well said. You're nodding your head that you agree with me. <laughs> and uh, that's where we'll wrap it up. I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, rating the podcast, leaving some comments, and we will back next week, hopefully with my friend Sean, where we can share more of our thoughts on money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.